Great to see you this morning. Good to be here with you and welcome. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to spend our time this morning and talk about uh, being children of God. Look with me beginning in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 3 and let's read down through some verses and then we'll consider these together. John said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Uh, Sherry and I were married in 1981, a long time ago now. Um, she was a full-time student at uh, North Florida, the college over there, or Florida, that's what it's called, right? Yeah, University of North Florida. Uh, she's full, well, it was, the name's same, I guess. But anyway, she was a, she was a full-time student there and working in between classes I was full-time in the Navy and going to school at night, so we decided not to have any children for a while because life was busy enough, and I figured if we had one, one of us was going to have to stay home and take care of them, so we, so we didn't have any children. And then in, in uh, 1992, uh, somewhere in the early 90s, we said, well, if we're going to have children, we probably ought to get started, so, uh, so we had Megan. God gave us Megan. Then in 1996, Nathan came along. And in 2014, Hunter and Haley uh, came to be part of our home. We adopted them. And so we have four wonderful children. Um, some things we learned along the way about children. And if you have children, I'll probably see heads nodding going, yeah, that, that's that is. God created them all with individual personalities, didn't he? I mean, I was always kind of amazed that, um, you know, they were so different in the same family, but they are. God creates them with their own personalities, and it's wonderful to see how God does that, children. But there's another dynamic that God built into the home, and, and you need to understand, we need to understand that the home is God's plan for how children should be raised, a mom and a dad, a male and a female that raise children together. Because there's a dynamic that God put in the home where as a parent, We'll use the word imprint, okay? You have the ability as a parent to imprint on the lives of your children, no matter what their personality is, no matter what kind of, how God created them and how they see life. As parents, we have the ability to imprint on them in, in many ways. And I was thinking about our children and what I see in children in the church over the years and, and families that I've known. It's interesting that children tend to take on some of the things their parents do. And if you know people in the church, you see their kids, you go, I know whose kid that is, right, by the things that they do. And some of the things that I see is their mannerisms. If, if a parent has a mannerism or a way that they do things, the kids will do that as well. Why? Because in the home, habits that parents might have, the children will pick up on those habits. Worldviews. If you have a particular worldview, uh, whether it be political or otherwise, there's a good chance that your children are going to 
are going to pick up on that worldview because we live with them and we imprint on them. And in, and in, the, in the way God designed it, our children love us as their parents and they respect us. And so they pay attention to those things. But, but no area of life that we, that we imprint on our kids or that we invest in their lives, no area is more important than spiritually that we introduce them to Jesus, that we introduce them to the gospel. Now, they have, I mean, we understand our children have to accept Christ for themselves. We, we can't save them. We pray for them. We long for God to save them. And the greatest blessing, I think, as a parent of any accomplishment our children might ever have in life is that they come to know Jesus Christ. No matter what they decide to do later in life, that they know Jesus, because then I can spend eternity with them in heaven one day. You know, if everything goes normal, I'll go before them, then I'll just wait on them to get there, okay? But that's what you want for your children. You imprint on them. Now, all of that I said to set up this passage. What John's saying in this passage, he's taking that same concept about children being influenced by their parents, and he's applying it to us as Christians in the family of God. The same thing applies here. The moment we were saved by faith in Jesus, the Bible says that God adopted us into his family. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we were made a new creation in Christ. We got a new heart. We got a new way to look at life. And as a child of God, the same family dynamic in a spiritual way applies to us. God, the Holy Spirit, if we want to use the same word, it's probably not a real good theological word. The Holy Spirit has imprinted on us the very nature of God. I mean, he is God, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so, so what God has done as, as us as his children is he's, he's influencing us through the power of the Holy Spirit to conform us to the image of Christ so that we look like him. And same thing in our families. We take on the mannerisms of God, don't we? We take on the worldview of God, which is his word. And so John is speaking here to the fact that we are like God or being conformed to the image of God. In fact, if you have your Bible open, look at the last verse of chapter 2. He introduces the whole idea with this very thing. Look at it. If you know that he's righteous, which is the characteristic of God, he's righteous, he's holy, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. There's the connection. If a person, whether they tell you they're saved or not, if, if in their lifestyle you see them pursuing God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they love Jesus, then what's the connection you can make? Well, God must be your father because you look like him, because you act like him, because you talk like him. And that's what John is really honing in on today. By nature our biological children, and even, even children that you might adopt into your family, you imprint on them, and you have the ability to influence their life. By nature, spiritually, if we're born again by faith in Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit, influences us to look like the Father. Now, notice what John says about that in this passage. Look at verse 1. Again, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Now, he begins with the word behold, which is a word that you could connect to uh, a statement of amazement or he's, he's going to point out something that's marvelous, that's something that's wonderful. And what he connects it to is the manner of love that the Father has had uh, toward us or that he's bestowed on us. Not only does he have it, but he's given it to us. He's expressed it. He's put it on us. He's, he's adopted us into his family. Now, why would John 
say God's love is so amazing? Why would John say that God's love is, is this thing that you use a word to behold? Just notice how marvelous this is. Now let me give you three things about the love of God that I believe explain why John is so excited about it and why really we should be thankful with gratitude and excited about it as well. Number one, God's love is so amazing because of the quality of it, because of the quality of it. You know the Greek word there. You've been around this church long enough, or if you've been saved long enough, it is the word agape. Agape love is the highest form of love. It's a word, a Greek word that expresses love in its highest, most complete way. In fact, agape love is a choice to love someone irrespective of their worthiness to be loved. That's important. Agape love says, I'm going to love you even though you're a scoundrel. Agape love says, I'm going to love you even though you're a sinner. Agape love says, I'm going to love you even though you deserve judgment and hell and condemnation. Agape love says, I love you irrespective of how bad you are. And, and if we're all honest in here, we're all pretty bad, right? I mean, if we measure ourselves against one another, we try to make ourselves feel good. Oh, you're worse than me, or I'm better than you, or you're better than me, but I'm catching up to you. No, 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 no. No, Jesus is the standard, right? And so when we, when we lay the ruler down and we look at Jesus, we're not even close. Matter of fact, we're not in the same discussion. We're not in the same hemisphere. And here's the quality of God's love. He loved us anyway. That's agape love. He, he chose to love us, not because we merited it, not because we earned it. So the, one of the most amazing things about God's love is that it's a, it's a love that's, that's chosen by him to give to us. It's unconditional the agape love expresses to us goodwill and benevolence and does things for us, even though we deserve the opposite. It's grace and it's mercy. All Listen, all of that comes out of God's love. And so John says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us because it's unmerited. We didn't deserve it. So not only do you have the quality of God's love, but it's amazing because we have the purpose of God's love. So the quality is unconditional, which, listen, if it wasn't for that kind of love, none of us would be saved. We, we, we just wouldn't have hope. So the quality, God loved us irrespective of who we are and what we've done. And secondly, it is the purpose of love. Why did God love us like that? Well, number one, he wants to restore us to a relationship with him. He, 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 he created us to have fellowship with him. Sin messed that up. So God in his great love, and he's the only one who could do it, he made a way to fix the sin problem which is in Jesus Christ. So then his love is amazing because it, it restores us. It restores us to a, a right relationship with him. But the second thing about the purpose of God's love is not only did he want to restore us to a relationship and fellowship, but he wanted it to be the most intimate, which is in a familial setting. So he just adopted us into his family. Doesn't get any more familial than that, does it? Doesn't get any more personal than that. And God says, you know what? Not only am I going to save you, I'm going to love you unconditionally. I'm going to pay for your sin so that you can just receive it, but I'm going to adopt you into my family. Now, when you get adopted, there's benefits because when you become a son or daughter, you become an heir and a joint heir, and you, get a, you, you have everything that God has. Why? Because he bestows it on us. And so the, the purpose of God's love was to draw us to him. And, and God, listen, to do what God wanted to do for us took sacrifice. It wasn't free. Uh, and God the Father was willing to give his, his, his only begotten Son the most precious thing in heaven, his Son, 
the second person of the Trinity to come and take on human flesh and die on a cross, that is love. That's bestowing love. Love is a word, and unless love has action behind it, it's just a word. And what is John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave. There it is. There's, it, it's, it, it takes on a verb, meaning, because love is only good if it has action. Now, sometimes in the world, we, we, we and I had this discussion earlier with a young person this week, sometimes young people think love is, you give me what I want. No, that's, that's not love. Love is, I give you what you need. Love is, I, I invest in your life so that you can be a man or a woman. Love means I, I care about you, and so I'm going to take the time to invest my life in yours. See, if it actually is the opposite. If someone says, I love you, and then they let them do whatever they want to, that's not love. That's destructive, okay? Watch this. God does the exact same thing with us. Sometimes we ask God for stuff, and what's the answer? You don't need that. Matter of fact, that would be bad for you, so no. And what do we do? We whine and roll in the floor like a little kid, right? We go, oh, God, but you know, God, I really need you to do this in my life, and I really, God, I really want it. Why don't you give it to me? And I've even heard people get mad at God. If God was really good, he would do this for me. No, it's because God's good that he don't do that for you, okay? You got to get the right perspective. It's because God is good, and he loves you, and he wants the best for your life, that he's not going to let you do that. Why? Because he's the father and we're the children and he's always right. And so we have this, this relationship and his love uh, is, is shared for us or shared on us or bestowed on us and we can see it. He gave his son. And I'll tell you another thing. God the father, God the son, God the Holy Spirit. God the father was willing to give God the son, but God the son had to be willing to come. That's amazing, too, that he was willing to lay aside his glory in heaven, lay aside all that was his to come here and die for us. So this love is amazing because of its, its quality and its purpose. But finally, probably the most amazing part of it is, it, is it's free. It's free. Not much in life is free, is it? I think they're trying to tax us for breathing air here pretty soon. I'm not sure. Not sure. But not much in life is free. The love of God is free. Doesn't mean it's cheap. Doesn't mean it didn't cost anything. It means it's free to you and me. God paid the bill, and now he says, you can have it. The free pardon of sin and adoption into the family of God is received by faith, wholly apart from works, merit, or any kind of thing that we can do. It's free to us. So, again, John would say, behold, what manner of love God has bestowed on us. That's rich, isn't it? Behold. How amazing it is that the creator of the universe would bestow that kind of love on us, particularly particularly when we're so offensive to him, particularly. Now, from a human perspective, I'm not driven in my flesh to be nice to people who are not nice to me. Are you? I mean, I'm not. You say, you're the preacher, you should be. Well, I'm not. Doesn't mean that I won't be nice to them. Doesn't mean the Holy Spirit won't grab me by the back of the neck and say, hey, stop. Stop with the me look and, you know, be nice. But it's not in my flesh. But God, thankfully God, loves us irresponsible of that and has bestowed it on us. Now, then we might ask the question, and John gives us here in verse 1, what's a reasonable response to that kind of love? 
once we understand it, you're here today online and you're watching, you say, man, I never realized God loved me like that. Never realized that the quality of God's love and, and the purpose of God's love and how free it is. So what should be the response? Well, I'll give you two things real quick. You ready? One of them is get saved. Accept it. If God did all that so that we can be saved, why, why would you not receive it? The only reason you wouldn't receive it, listen, if you're watching online, and, and lots of people watch the videos online later, if, you, if you're watching later, the only reason you would not receive God's free grace is you like sin more. And if you choose sin over God, or you choose your own will over God, and you choose living your life instead of submitting to God humbly and asking for his forgiveness and being saved, it's going to cost you everything in eternity. No, the reasonable response is to come to God now and confess our sin and repent and accept that love that John's talking about here. Behold, behold what marvelous love that, that has quality and purpose and it's free. Accept it. God paid for it. He's holding it out to you. All you have to do is be willing to repent of your sin and turn. All you, all you have to do is be willing to ask God to save you, and he'll save you. But I'll tell you the, the second thing that's a reasonable response to this kind of love. You say, Pastor, I'm already saved. Now, I remember when I got saved. I know I'm going to heaven. Praise God, he saved me. So what's the reasonable response for you and I who are saved? The reasonable spot response for you and I who are saved is the obligation to righteousness, the obligation to be like our heavenly father. And it is an obligation. So, oh, well, it's Christian and I have grace. No, you have obligation. Yeah, it's grace. And everything we receive is grace. But our natural response should be, God, thank you for doing for me with a marvelous love what I could not do for myself. And now out of gratitude, I, you own me. And whatever it is you want me to do, I'm doing it. And that means if, 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 if I'm to pursue righteousness and holiness, then that's what I'm going to do. We have been adopted into the family of God. And our gratitude says that we've experienced such great favor from God. Can we do anything less than respond with gratitude by presenting ourselves for God to change us? You see, the power of the Holy Spirit is unlimited. You say, Pastor, there are things in my life that I've struggled with my whole life. The Holy Spirit don't struggle with that stuff. He can get rid of it. You know why it doesn't go away? Because we're hanging on to it. We go, oh, well, I've given it to God. No, you got it by the tail. And you're not really let it go. Okay? Or we don't really let it go. We tell God, oh God, I, I want to be delivered from this trouble in my life, anger, sin, whatever the thing is, the temptation, the lust. Mm, yeah, but deep down inside, we really still like it. And so we tell God to take it away. All the while, while we're saying, God, take it away, we still intend to not really run away from it. See, it's not the Holy Spirit's problem, it's our problem. No, what do we do? We come to God and we pray the Romans 12, 1 and 2 verses. Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, that you present yourselves, your bodies, all of you, a living sacrifice. Watch this, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your, what? Reasonable service. Is not Paul saying the exact same thing John's saying here? It is your reasonable service that you do that. Why? It's the natural response to such wonderful love. He said, and then have your mind renewed in the word of God so that you might prove what is that good and perfect will of God in your life. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's the real response that we ought to give God when we get saved. You see, the Bible, and I know it happens, and we know it happens. 
Uh, read the letter to Corinth. The Corinthian church was full of carnal Christians. People can get saved because salvation's free. It's all by faith in Jesus Christ. But then they don't grow. They don't read their Bible. They don't get plugged into a church family where, they, where, where the Bible, where they can understand. They don't attend any Bible study classes. They don't do a Bible, you know, attend with their neighbor. They, they they're, they're just not growing spiritually. They get stunted. They're still babes. Paul wrote to them and said, are you not still babes? Should you not be eating meat of the word now? You're still on milk. I still got to spoon feed you because you're not growing. And whenever a Christian is spiritually immature, their life becomes carnal because they get into the world and they look like the world and they're saved and they're struggling. Life is miserable as a Christian when we're walking that way. No, John and Paul said, no, that's not what God's called us to be as his children. He's called us to put away sin, pursue holiness, study the Bible, understand what he wants, and let the Holy Spirit change us on the inside. And so John says here, look, this, this, this reasonable response to this kind of love is that, one, we get saved if you're lost, and two, we surrender and pursue righteousness. Now, because we look like the Father, John says something interesting at the end of verse 1. Look at it. He says, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. What's John saying there? He's saying simply this. We come to Jesus and we get saved. We become a new creation in Christ. We get adopted into the family of God. As we begin to grow spiritually, we begin to look like Jesus. You look like Jesus, you look like the Father. Why? Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So as we're conformed to the image of Christ, we look like God the Father. We look like our Father. And John said, when you start looking like your Father, the world's not going to know who you are. The world's going to look at you and say, who are you? What are you doing? Why do you do that? Why do you live that way? Why, why do you live that kind of life? Why don't they recognize us? John said, because they don't recognize God. If they don't recognize God, they're not going to recognize you and me if we're living for him or look like him. And so John said here, he said, look, the world doesn't know you because it doesn't know God. Think about it. When Jesus came here the first time, they rejected him. They put him on a cross and crucified him. They rejected his teaching. They rejected the gospel. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If you come to me, I'll give you the light of life. Jesus said, I'll give you the water that bubbles up inside of you and it's living water. I'll give you the spirit. You just got to come to me and confess. They asked Jesus one time, I heard this this week in a Bible teaching, and I don't remember where the passage is, but they asked Jesus, hey, you know, the building fell on a bunch of people over there and killed them. Remember that? Jesus in uh, Jerusalem and they said, hey, there was a tower that collapsed and it killed a bunch of people. What about that? God didn't prevent them. And Jesus said, no, all of you deserve a tower to fall on your head. It's just grace that it doesn't. I mean, all, you know, that God, if it doesn't fall on you, that's God being gracious. If it falls on you, that's what you get anyway. And Jesus went on to say, unless you come to me and you repent of your sins, you're all going to perish anyway. Well, now that's the gospel cut right to the core, isn't it? He said, oh, that tower is the least of your worries. You don't come to me and repent of your sin and get saved, you're going to perish anyway. It doesn't matter if it's a tower that falls on your head or the chariot runs over you. It doesn't matter, okay? John's saying right here, the world doesn't recognize us because it didn't recognize Jesus. It didn't hear him. One writer said this, the world takes delight in treating us with ridicule and contempt, does it not? Sure it does. The world just takes great delight in ridiculing Christians, telling, you know, they, they, in, in the public domain and secular news agencies and reporting, they treat us like, like we're uneducated and we're, and we're superstitious and we need, I've been told this many times, you religious people use your religion as a crutch. Man, I'm leaning all over Jesus. You can call it what you want to, okay? 
But it isn't a crutch that's unreal. It's a crutch with reality. It's a person. And you say, why can't the world see that? Because they don't know God. And sin has blinded them. They're, they're lost. And when you talk to somebody and they, and they won't come to Christ, they don't understand why you do what you do. It's because they don't know the Father. And what they really need is to be saved. Now, John moves very quickly here to talk about our current state in the world. You say, well, pastor, if I'm a child of God, sometimes I don't feel like it. The world's hard. Life's hard. Difficult. You know, challenges. Well, notice what John says in verse 2. Look at it. He said, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I really like this verse. First, he begins with the current situation that we're in. He says in, in the first part of the verse, now we are children of God. That's a definitive statement. Say, you're a child of God right now if you're saved. And why is he saying that? Because we might look around at this sinful world, and we might look at the troubles and the difficulties that we go through in life, and the trials and the tribulations and the struggles, and we might be tempted to say to ourselves, man, if I'm a child of God, don't feel like it sometimes. If I'm a child of God, the world beats us up sometimes and life beats us up. And we wonder, man, if I'm a child of God, where are those stupendous blessings? Where are they right now? Because I ain't seeing them. And sometimes people will say that. And again, I've had Christians say, you know, if God is love, why does he let this happen? And if God loves me, why does he let that happen? And we blame for God for things that are not his fault. What John's saying here is, look, Although this life is not all that you might expect it to be. We live in bodies that are going to die. We live in bodies that are deteriorating every day. We live in bodies that face sickness and COVID and other diseases and cancers and limitations. We, we live in a world where there's weakness and there's death. We live in a world where there's suffering. We live in a world where there are losses. Loved ones pass away and hurt. And our hearts hurt. And we live in a world where we comfort one another and we encourage one another. And you think, man, this world is hard. And John said, yeah, it is. But notice what else he says. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Well, that's encouraging. In other words, John says, look, it is hard. And there's a battle and there's a struggle going on with sin and troubles and death and weakness. But he said, as the children of God, it doesn't yet appear what we're going to be. Well, I really like that. What John's saying is this, there's coming a time when we're going to fully possess all that God has promised. You see, right now, you and I are children of God in position. In other words, we are children of God, and right now, all that God has promised us is ours. We just not realize it all yet. We just don't have it all yet in our possession here to, to understand because we're in these bodies. But there's coming a day when God's going to fix that. There's coming a day when that's not going to be a problem anymore. And John says this in verse 2. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's coming a day when, when Jesus is going to be fully manifested to us, and we're going to become like him. I like that. Now, don't misunderstand this. When it says we're going to become like him, it doesn't mean we're going to become equal with him, because he's God and we're not. We're the creature. He's the creator. But in his love, he has determined 
that there's coming a day that when he returns to rapture his church, we're going to get a new body. We're going to get a resurrection body that looks like his, that's like his, same nature as his. You say, what was the nature of Jesus' resurrection body? Well, you can read about it in the book of Acts. After the resurrection, he talked to people. They recognized him. They touched him. So he had a body that, that had substance to it. He wasn't this ethereal spirit floating around like, you know, uh, like a ghost. No, he's real. He looked like himself. He ate food. Man, we could run all over with that, couldn't we? He ate food. He ate. He had fellowship with his disciples. He taught them in his resurrection body. When you and I get our body, we're going to be like him. So what John's saying is, look, I know it's hard right now to those first century Christians. I know it's difficult. There's temptations. There's trials. The church is being persecuted. He said, but it doesn't appear yet what you're going to be. And you are a child of God. And one day you're going to possess in reality all the things that God has promised and I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day. I look forward to the new body. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, it talks about, Paul talks about Jesus is going to come. He's going to appear in the air and he's going to call his church out of the world. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. They're going to come out of the grave in their new resurrection bodies. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought they were with him. They are. But their spirit and their resurrection body will be reunited and they're going to come out of the grave. And if we're alive when Jesus comes back, which I pray for every day, We'll be changed in an instant, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Boom, we're here in this body, and in, and in a split second, in a fraction of a second, you'll be in your new body. That's quick, isn't it? See, Jesus could do that anytime. And John said, look, don't, don't worry about the fact that you're a child of God and times are tough now. He said, because one day you're going to be like Jesus. And I really like the part where he says, we shall see him as he is. I want you to think about that for a minute. Right now, I see Jesus with the eyes of faith. I don't know what he looks like. I know what he's like because I can read the Bible. And I know what he's like because I have a relationship with him. And I can talk to him. I can pray. But I can't stand in front of him with my eyeballs and look at him and converse with him because he's at the right hand of the Father and I'm here. And I can't see that far. And the older I get, the less I can see far. So I can't see that far. But there's coming a time that though I see him dimly right now, Paul said as through a glass in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. You know what Paul's saying? It's coming a day when we get our new body and we can stand in front of Jesus and we can look at him face to face. And I can talk to him. And I can fellowship with him. And I can see him like he really is. I can see the nail prints in his hands and in his side. And I can have, in my estimation, even more intimate relationship with him. And I like the part Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, and then know, we'll know more. Right now, our understanding is limited by these human brains. No matter how hard you study and how hard you try to understand God and the things he says in the Bible, some of it is it, you take it by faith, but it's to, to really grasp it and unfold it and lay it out in a neat order, it's hard. It's difficult. But I think our understanding and our new resurrection body will be expanded so when we're in heaven, 
there's going to be a lot of aha moments. You know what I mean? Like Jesus is going to explain something to us. We're going to go, I should have seen that. I should have understood that, but we'll have the capacity. So though we see dimly now, as through a glass, there will be a day when Jesus will come, and we'll see what it, listen, we will really see and understand what it means to be a child of God. Let me tell you, people who, who go to hell, people who, who don't accept Christ and they go to hell, hell in itself will be indescribably bad. Lake of fire, eternal pain, weeping away and gnashing of teeth. But the thing they're going to miss on the good side, all that it means to be a child of God, all that it means to have perfect relationship with God and fellowship with him every day for eternity. Man, I wouldn't want to miss that for anything. To be able to sit with them. I know this is probably not how it works, but you know, the new Jerusalem has walls. And I, and I would think maybe, I don't know, it's sitting in the Bible, so don't go out here and say I'm making up stuff. But I'm just kind of thinking, if it's got a wall and my new resurrection body can fly around like Jesus, maybe I can sit on the wall and hang my feet over and just look out into space. I don't know. Maybe I can. Because the light will be from, from the new Jerusalem because Jesus is the light and it'll shine out into the universe. So maybe I can just sit there and hang my feet over and enjoy the scenery. I don't know. And maybe I can sit there and Jesus will sit next to me and I can ask him a lot of questions. You say, well, there's going to be a lot of people in heaven Jesus is going to talk to. Oh, we got all eternity. We're in no hurry, right? I mean, I'm not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. So we got lots of time to, to answer questions and figure stuff out. That's what John's painting here. As a child of God, you and I are going to be able to do that. Now, he draws one inference, and we're going to close. Look at verse 3. He kind of draws it to a conclusion about being a child of God, and he says this. And everyone who has this hope in him, meaning everything we just said, you know this wonderful love of God, its, its quality and its purpose and, and its freedom, and you, you know you're a child of God, and you anticipate this change that's coming. Anybody who... who who has this hope in themselves, does what? Purifies himself just as he is pure. Here's the motive. See, Christianity isn't legalism. It isn't a list of do's and don'ts, and it isn't, it isn't us, the church, or, or the preacher, or the deacons, or the elders looking over your shoulder going, why are you doing that? It isn't that. Christianity is not legalism. Christianity is a relationship with the living God who is holy and righteous and just. And because he adopted us into his family, we want to be like him. That's, that's what Christianity is about, that we're pursuing him. John said, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I would suggest to you our greatest desire in life should be to please God. I know we come up short. I'm, I'm at the front of the line there. But that should be our greatest desire. Why? Because we have a relationship with him. Why? Because he's our father. And just like my earthly father, I never wanted to disappoint him. I didn't want to disappoint him with my life or, or do things that would disappoint him. Even more so, I don't want to do things that disappoint my Heavenly Father. And so that should be our heart's desire. Hey, are, are you saved today? Are you a child of God? Are you in the family? Oh, it, it matters eternally if you are or not. So how do I get in the family? 
confess your sin to God, ask Jesus to save you. Jesus died to pay for your sin, ask him to save you. You say, is it really that easy? Yes, it is. If God made it any other way, you couldn't do it. If there was anything we had to do, we couldn't do it. It's, it's free. God paid for our sin. Would you receive him today? Would you ask him to save you? He'll put you in the family. He'll forgive your sin. He'll put you in the family. Become a child of God. Tremendous blessings in that. Come to him. He'll make your life different. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage and what it means to be your child. God, I, I know we can't really comprehend all that it means right now in this life, but God, we look forward to the day when we can see clearly, when we can understand. Father, if there's anybody here in the balcony in this room and they've never been saved right now, between you and them, Lord, as they sit in a seat quietly, privately from them, Lord, they could just pray and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry for my sin. Lord, I recognize my need to be saved. And God, I don't understand all that it means, but I want to be saved. And I confess my sin. And Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sin. And so right now I ask you to save me. God, you'll save anybody who will pray that way. You'll save anybody whose heart's desire is to be saved. Lord, for those who are here today and that are saved and are in your family, God, as, as your children, help us, God, to, to know that, that we live for you. We represent you in this life. And God, let us be motivated to a life of purity and holiness. Bless your people. Move in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing a verse of song. If I can pray with you or you have questions, you come on the first verse. We'll be glad to help you this morning.